Luke chapter 5, as we study God's Word, as we study about a man who took a step of faith today. Any other children here? Uh, kindergarten to second grade can be dismissed to Children's Church if they'd like. Kindergarten to second grade, Children's Church, if you'd like. Uh, Luke chapter 5, if you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 1019. Page 1019 in those pew Bibles. We study a man who took a step of faith. Simon Peter. Page 1019, Luke chapter 5. Let me read the text. It says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. But Simon Peter saw this. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish They had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. I was uh, debating somebody this week about... um, why Christianity has spread the way it has spread down through the centuries and around the world and why it's spreading so quickly today. Uh, This fellow uh, asserted that Christianity had primarily spread down through the centuries by force and through coercion. That that Christianity was essentially a religion of power and dominance and that people who were uh, obsessed with power used it to control and dominate others. And his primary examples were, well, you could probably guess, uh, the Inquisition and the Crusades. And, you know, I, I disagreed with the guy. In fact, I told him I thought his understanding of church history was sophomore. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have said that, but it is. Uh, and, and I said, look, yeah, yeah, there is the Inquisition. Yeah, there is the Crusade. But, you know, those things happened not because of the teachings of Jesus, but in spite of the teachings of Jesus Christ. And I said, in fact, I, I think it's very difficult to argue that those were the times when the church really surged forward. That wasn't the case. In fact, just the opposite, interestingly, you look at church history, the church surges forward not when it has power, but typically when power is being used against it. It's when the church is persecuted that the church really flourishes, and I think that's the case many times throughout the history of the church. And so, you know, the example of, of the church moving forward through power is just not accurate. The church has moved forward down through the centuries through the teaching of God's Word, and as one life at a time is transformed by the message of the gospel. The the church has surged as one by one by one people have come to know Christ, 
their lives are changed, and they in turn become part of telling others about the, the experience that they've had in Christ. So the appropriate metaphor is not militarism and warfare. The appropriate metaphor for the church's advances, well, it's more like fishing. Like here in this story, Luke chapter 5. It's a fishing story. It says, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So here you have Jesus at the lake of Gennesaret, which is just another name for the Sea of Galilee. And just to sort of let everyone know where we are, if you can think of this as the land of Palestine, and here's the Mediterranean Ocean, and up here is uh, Asia Minor or Turkey, and down here you have uh, Egypt and uh, the North Africa. So if you think of Palestine here, and you think of like the, the Dead Sea down here, the Jordan River, and then up here is the Sea of Galilee. And, and so this is where Jesus is. He's by the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it, it's a, a big lake. It's 13 miles long at its longest point and about 8 miles wide at its widest point. It sits deep within the uh, Jordan Rift Valley. So the, actually the surface of the lake is almost 700 feet below sea level. And the, the lake is, it, at one point it's about 150 feet deep is about how deep it is. It, it's fed by the Jordan River coming down from the north and by underground springs. And the thing about the, the Sea of Galilee is that it, at the time especially, it was just absolutely teeming with fish. I mean all kinds of fish. There was the fish that's called St. Peter's fish, which is a, actually a type of tilapia. And there were catfish, and there were these little kind of sardine-like fish. And as a result, an enormous uh, fishing industry existed around the Sea of Galilee. Uh, just tons of, of fishermen. Uh, you can hear it in the names of the towns. There was one town um, called Bethsaida, which means house of fish. There's another town called Magdala, which means the bulwark of the fish. There was Terakea, which means the salting place of the fish. So it was just a huge fishing industry. And all these fish would be caught and they'd be taken to these salt places and the fish would be salted and preserved and then shipped out all over Palestine so that fish really was a typical part of people's diets in Jerusalem and around that area. So when you think of this story, when you think of Jesus walking along the sea teaching these people, the picture you have to have in your mind is like Jesus walking along, I don't know, the docks at Gloucester or along the pier in New Bedford or something like that. All right? This is fishing town, fishing people. And Jesus is trying to teach them, and they're crowding in around him. And, you know, they're pressing in, and there's a crowd, and so he's trying to lift his voice above the crowds. It's, it's an acoustically kind of impossible situation. And then he looks, and there's these boats. And so, you know, he says, hey, you know, Peter, can I use your boat? And so Peter takes him out a little bit. And now he sits on the water, and you know how sound travels across the water. It, this is acoustically much better. He can sit there in the boat, the sound is traveling out, and now the people, all of them, can hear much better in the crowds. And so he begins to teach. So do you have the picture now in your minds? Jesus, boat. He's fishing! <laughs> Jesus is fishing. That's the image that Luke is trying to you know, convey here. Jesus is just hanging out fishing. He's sitting there in his boat, casting out his net, and, and the boat is kind of his pulpit, and the crowds are the fish, and the net is the gospel and the word of God. And he's just, you know, he's having a nice day fishing. Jesus is, you know, the heavenly bass pro. He's, he's the, mas, uh, you know, the master fisherman, the master angler. And here he is out for a day to try to catch some fish. You want to know who Jesus was? Jesus was God on a fishing trip to planet Earth. That's who Jesus is. God come down to planet Earth, human form, 
came to catch some people. And I I think it's important to remember that Jesus came to seek lost fish like us. Uh, Oftentimes when we talk about conversion, we use language of us coming to Jesus and finding Jesus. And and there's truth in it. Um, You you know, we say, I I found the Lord when I was 12. You know, when I was uh, 21, that's when I started to seek God. And and, and that's when I discovered Him. And that's true. I mean, we, we do find the Lord, but we... As we study the scriptures, what we understand is that the only reason I ever find the Lord is because He finds me first. The only reason I ever started seeking God was because He sought me first. And it's only as God opens up my heart and, and helps me to see the truth that I respond by His grace to His seeking after me. So yeah, I found the Lord, but it's because He found me. And, and so God is the great fisherman. He's the one seeking us. Have you ever thought that maybe you are being fished? Have you ever thought maybe you're the fish? You know, oh, not me. You know, I'm not going to become one of those Christians. Yeah, my my uh, my uncle, you know, my wife or whatever. You know, they became a Christian and born again types. And, you know, that's fine for them. But, yeah, they're not going to get me. Yeah, you, you know, what we call people like you. You're called a lunker. <laughs> and everyone loves to catch a lunker, especially God. And, and, you know, so the more you go, oh, 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 you know, that's the more like God's like, okay. <laughs> and the thing is, if He decides to catch you, you're caught. I remember when, um, when God was fishing me, I, I kept being drugged to church by my, my family, and you know, I went through the youth group, and I heard all the sermons and heard all the things for a couple of years, and just, you know, it was interesting, I was fascinated. But then there came this point where, you know, I'd heard the same preacher giving the same sermons, but for some reason, they started like, you know, feeling different. They started getting through to me a little bit, and I'm like, whew, you know, this is, what's going on here? And that wasn't just about God, generally speaking, it was more like, hey, Jeremy, God is fishing after you. And, and he kept, and he, you know, he had me on the hook, and so it was like six months of fighting the fish, you know. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to become a Christian, and, you know. I'd run, and, and you know, at that point, you're just trying to tire the fish out, which God does. And, and finally, after about six months, he tired me out and brought me up the side of the boat, and boom, and and that was it. And, and thank God, I was caught. It was the best thing ever, coming out of the waters of sin up into the into the life of Jesus Christ. And so maybe you're being fished. it's a distinct possibility. And if you are, you should be so happy (laughs) that God cares enough about you that He's fishing you. That He's not just letting you swim with the other fish over the abyss and into destruction. He's fishing you. So, you know, know, enjoy the fight a little bit. Time to get in the boat, all right? (laughs) God is the great fisherman. So He fishes, throws out His net, talking to all these people, and then He's done with His sermon. And... The people go away. But as you see in verse 4, Jesus has not done fishing yet. He's just changing the type of fishing he's doing. Uh, he, he was doing kind of net casting. He was throwing out this big net at the crowds. But now he puts his net away, and he's kind of like he's doing fly fishing now. You know, in fly fishing, you're not trying to catch a whole bunch of fish. You're trying to catch one fish. Uh, in, in fact, when you're going after trophy fly fish, you do something called fishing to the fish. In other words, you, know, you kind of creep along the bank of a river when you're looking for big trout. And if you see one, you know, breaking in a pool over there, what you do then is you, you, know, you figure out the right fly, and then you fish specifically to the fish. And you try to put it right where you know that fish is. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here with Peter. He's done with the nets, and now he looks at Peter, and he's like, hey, you know, let's go out and do some fishing, if you know what I mean. And he's going to take him out, and he gets out his little fly rod, and he's going specifically for Peter. So verse 4. He says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. 
So, you know, here's the carpenter, the landlubber, telling the professional fisherman when and how to do his fishing. Peter's gracious. You have to, you have to give it to Peter, I mean, especially given Peter's personality. He's doing pretty good here. Verse 5, Simon, it's just another name for Peter. Uh, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, Peter has known Jesus a little bit before this. He's, he's been exposed to Jesus' teachings and Jesus' miracles. So he's kind of comfortable with Jesus. And he's like, okay, Jesus, fine. You know, give me enough credit. I'll, I'll let down the nets and, and we'll do that. Now, most likely the kind of nets they were using in those days um, were called trammel nets. Uh, trammel nets are still used today. They're, they're big, long nets, you know, about yay high, and they're weighted on the bottom, and they have floats on the top. And, and what they do is they, they put these nets in deep water, and they have a couple layers of mesh. And the idea, of course, is that the fish you know, swim into the net and get entangled, and you pull it out. These are big nets. It took several guys to haul these things in and out of the water. Uh, and, and typically, you did trammel net fishing at night. Because, you know, in the day, the fish, you know, see the net and they go over it. But at night, you know, the fish just swim along and they get caught up in the net. So that explains why it takes a couple guys, why they're out in deep water, and why he says, Master, we've been fishing all night. Look, I mean, I, I know you did some miracles and some teaching, and so you're probably a special guy, but look, I know fishing, okay? <laughs> I've been fishing all night. I'm tired. I just want to go to bed. I mean, I let you use the boat for the sermon, you know, and now you want to go out fishing. It's like... Whatever, okay? Whatever you say, we'll let down the nets. And that, of course, is when the miracle happens. Verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full, they began to sink. Every fisherman fantasizes about catching the ultimate fish. <laughs> I mean, you know, anytime you go down to the jetty or down to the beach with your surf rod to catch a striper, there's somewhere in your mind, it may be a very small, tiny place, but there's a little tiny light of hope that maybe you might catch the next world record striper. I mean, you know you probably won't, but you, you just hope anyway. And by the way, you know, the world record striper, 78 pounds, 8 ounces, it uh, was 53 inches long. It was caught a couple decades ago. You know, and you just think, maybe I'm going to catch the 80-pound striper. I went out. I uh, had the real privilege. I'd never done this before, but some people took me out uh, bluefin tuna fishing uh, last year. It was just awesome. Went out in the boat. I hurled over the side. I was sick the whole time. <laughs> we never caught anything. I was sleep-deprived. But I loved it. And, you know, part of it is just like, what if we catch the big one? You know, I mean, you know, tuna, bluefin tuna, world record's like almost 1,500 pounds. You think, you know, it's like catching a Volkswagen. These things are just, they're, they're huge. They're huge fish. And, you know, it's like you're sick and, you, you know, party wants to go home, but you're like, man, what if we catch a big tuna? And, and so every fisherman dreams of the ultimate catch. And here, Peter and his buddies get the once-in-a-lifetime, never-going-to-be-equaled, goes-in-the-record-books, Hall of netting fish. I mean, this is the kind of thing you dream about at night. This is the kind of thing when you take your, your seven-year-old son out fishing. He's like, Dad, Dad, w what if we caught so many fish it would fill up the whole boat? Well, you know, I mean, is it, can it happen, Dad? Well, I mean, it could happen, theoretically, son, but probably not going to happen. Oh, yeah, Dad, and what if there are so many fish it would fill up both boats? Oh, you know, it's like, well, son, you know, yeah. But it actually happens. 
And, you know, here's the guys. They're like, all right, hauling up the nets, Jesus. Oh. And, you know, is the net snagged? No, it's, it's moving. It's just, you know, and here's these you know, fishermen just, everything they got, putting their backs into it, hauling this thing up. And, and I imagine as the net comes up, you, you know, if you see something deep in the water, at first it's kind of, it kind of glows. It's, it's sort of like white underwater. And as it's coming up, there's this huge mass of white. And, you know, these guys are just strained, like, what is this? And then, the net starts breaking. Ping, ping, ping. And then it's coming up and fish are just, you know, and the guys are like, ah! And so they're like singling the other boat and the other boat comes over and guys are scooping in fish as fast as they can scoop and, you know, the boat's just filling up with fish. And guys are standing in fish and there's fish flopping all over and the boats are starting to sink. You know, and everyone's just going bananas. This has never happened before. And it doesn't say this in the Bible. So the, what I'm about to say, you can, you know, uh, you know, Disregard, But for some reason, in my little imagination, whenever I imagine this story, I always imagine Jesus standing knee-deep in fish, laughing hysterically. <laughs> it's just my little, under, you know, my little mental picture of Jesus, just laughing and laughing. <laughs> and all these guys are flipping out. And it's finally at this moment, finally at this moment, that it all comes together for Simon. And he finally gets it. He hasn't gotten it up to this point. He's seen Jesus. He's seen miracles. He healed his mother-in-law. We know from the other Gospels, Peter was introduced to Jesus for some time. But finally at this moment, maybe it's because he was a fisherman. Maybe it's because he was out at sea. Maybe because he understood how amazing this catch was that it finally dawns on him who Jesus is. And now this huge once-in-a-lifetime world record catch is just like total, totally peanuts to him. He could care less. It's, it's insignificant because he suddenly realizes that he's standing in the presence of God's Holy One. And he, he turns and looks at Jesus. And now finally the hook is set, so to speak. And, and the eyes of Peter's heart are opened and he sees who Jesus is. And look what Peter says. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Whenever sinful human beings come into the presence of holy, holy, holy God, they always become painfully aware of their sinfulness. Because God is holy. And, and, and people are, were undone in the presence of of holy, holy, holy God. It makes, reminds me of the story of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah saw God. Do you remember that story? Isaiah, is, he has a vision. Like Peter, he sees a great manifestation of God's glory. In this case, he has a vision of God seated on a throne, high and exalted. And, and the seraphim are singing God's praises. The seraphim are singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the whole temple is shaking because of the sound of their voices. And you remember how Isaiah responds to that image? He cries out, Woe to me, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Down through church history, we've talked about this before, but whenever great revivals have come upon uh, a country or the church in, in church history, there's always, as part of a revival, a deep repenting from sin. Because whenever God's holy presence is revealed to people, one of the, part of the response we must have is a recognition that, that we are sinful people. 
John MacArthur tells kind of a funny story about some guy who uh, told him, hey, I, I saw Jesus this morning. And MacArthur said, really? Tell me what happened. He says, yeah, I was, I was uh, shaving and, and Jesus appeared to be in the bathroom. And MacArthur said, really, what did you do? And the guy said, well, I, I kept shaving. And MacArthur said, well, then you didn't see Jesus. <laughs> you don't just keep shaving. <laughs> You've, I'm undone. You fall on your knees. And, and, you know, it's easy to think I'm okay, you're okay when I compare myself to you. And I am actually better than some of you. But, you know, when I compare myself, <laughs> when I compare myself to God, <laughs> that's when I understand that I am desperately, desperately selfish. That I am just so thoroughly sinful that even in my finest moments... I somehow can manage to take my most glorious moments and, and warp them. Even when I've done my best, I can then, you know, there's a part of me that's like, hey, look what I did. I mean, it's just, I'm, I'm so egotistical and selfish and sinful at my root nature. It's kind of like if you take a bunch of sheep and take white sheep and put them against the background of a green field, they will look very white. But it's interesting, if you take those very same sheep and put them against a background of new fallen snow, they will actually look gray and dirty. You know, it depends on who we're comparing ourselves to. If we compare ourselves to each other, well, yeah, you know, we can always find someone who seems to be a worse schlep than I am and, and someone who's better. But when we compare ourselves to God, we see that He is holy. And, and so part of coming to God has to be a recognition of my desperate moral depravity before Him. But what's truly amazing in this story is not the catch of fish. What's truly amazing was that Jesus says to Peter, Look at verse 10, that final little paragraph there. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. That's amazing. <laughs> two things. He says two things to him. First of all, he says, Don't be afraid. He could have said to him, You're right, you are a sinful man. Get out of the boat and why don't you drown yourself? <laughs> he didn't say that. He said, don't be afraid. Because Jesus came on a fishing trip to save sinners, not destroy them. He could have destroyed us, but instead He came in love and mercy in order to save us. That's why Jesus taught and did miracles and lived a holy life and was crucified and buried and raised was so that He might save sinful fish, that He might catch us and bring us into His life. That is why Christ came, was to rescue and redeem. He, he came to save. And, and so he says to, to Peter, you know, don't be afraid. And he says to us, don't be afraid. And we go, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure Peter had his problems, but you don't know my background. <laughs> my background's pretty sordid. You know, it's whatever. It's, uh, there's drugs in my background. Uh, there's, there's substance abuse. I mean, my background, there is betrayal. There's multiple marriages. Uh, in my background, there's, uh, you, you know... Greed, I, I've stolen from people, I've hurt a lot of people. Maybe, maybe you've even killed people. I mean, who knows? Some of us have been in war. Maybe, uh, even though you're wearing a uniform, didn't make you feel justified in killing people. Maybe you struggle with those kinds of demons, or whatever. But, but some of us just feel like, no, this can't be. God can't say to me, salvation. But Jesus says, do not be afraid. It doesn't matter who you are, or what you've done, or what kind of horrid skeletons you have in your closet, the blood of Jesus cleanses from all unrighteousness. And if anybody will call on the name of the Lord, he can be saved. There is nobody here, including me, who is beyond the power of Jesus to save and to rescue. 
So Jesus says, don't be afraid. And then what does he say? From now on, you will catch men. You're going to be a people catcher from now on. You're going to catch humans. That's what you're going to fish for. And that's so amazing. Think of the power of Jesus that He not only saves us, but then He uses us as His fellow servants and fishermen. That's just astounding. This is the power of our God to take a sinful, broken down person, forgive them, and turn them into not just a saint, but a servant. That's what He did with Isaiah. Isaiah says, I am a sinful man, And so then the angel comes to Isaiah, remember the story, with a coal from the altar, which symbolizes the the sacrifice for sin. And he touches Isaiah's lips. He says, see, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for. Just like Jesus, do not be afraid. And then God says, well, who shall I send now? Who shall go for us? And what does Isaiah say? Here am I, send me. And so the same thing with Peter. He's now saying, now go, you're going to now have a job for me. It's like, a job for you? (laughs) It's a second ago, I was laying in the gutter of sin. Yeah, yeah, I know, no, no. Come on, let's go. Time to go catch men. Let's go. And he sends us out. Us. He's like, well, not me. I don't have a seminary degree. It didn't say anything about that. And Peter's a fisherman. I mean, you can't get more blue-collar, hard-working, plain-spoken, uneducated than Peter. And, and Jesus says, you. In fact, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. You're going to be the, the lead, lead-off batter for this lineup, Peter. You, you are going out and you're going to do this. Like, me? Yes. And this is something we struggle with as, as Christians. I know we struggle with evangelism. There are certain things in the Christian life that seem to leak. And I think one of those things is zeal for evangelism. At least for me, it leaks. It's like prayer. Zeal for prayer, it just leaks. I get fired up to pray. I get fired up to share my faith. And then it just seems to leak quickly. So I've got to keep sort of refilling that part of my heart. I don't know why it has holes in it, but it does. And this is just one of those passages that recharges me up as a Christian to be like, I am called to fish. If you are a follower of Jesus, like I am, then we have to fish. It's not an option. It's not an add-on. It's not an extra. <laughs> You've got to fish. Jesus fished. I'm a disciple. I'm following him, so I have to fish. Not an option. It's mandatory. It's who we are. And, and so how are you doing in fishing? Let's do a little application here. Um, take out a piece of paper. It could be your bulletin. It could be a scrap of paper. It could be, you know, whatever. Just take out a piece of paper. Take a pencil. And let, let me ask you three fishing questions. Three fishing questions. So let me ask you three questions, and you just, as, as your own way of applying this text, just jot down whatever comes to your mind. First question, scale of 1 to 10, how equipped do you feel to share the gospel and, and to fish how equipped do you feel to, to evangelize somebody? Like 10, I'm ready to go, I've got answers, I've got ideas, I've got strategies. Zero, you know, please stop preaching this sermon. I, I, I'm just totally, <laughs> this is not me. I will never share the gospel with anybody, ever. You know, whatever. So zero, zero to 10, where are you in that? How equipped do you feel? Because you've got you to gotta know some basics in fishing. You've got to know how to tie some knots. You've got to know how to put the worm on the hook. You've got to know how to cast it without getting the line all tangled up in the reel. There's some basic things to fishing that every Christian should know. I mean, we're not all super evangelists. Not everybody here can do apologetics like Robbie Zacharias. Not everybody here can present the gospel like Billy Graham. But, you know, we're all called to fish. So, you know, how do you feel you have some basic equipment? Do you have a tackle box? Do you know the gospel? If you put five or lower 
on your chart, then maybe a, an important step for you will be to just get a little fishing skill. Um, read a good book on evangelism. I was going to bring a book with me. It's forgotten. It's down in my office. But it's a, a book by a guy named J. Max Stiles called Speaking of Jesus. It's the best book I've read on personal evangelism. J. Max Stiles, Speaking of Jesus. Or, or maybe you want to go on the church's website, southshorebaptist.com, click the button that says Sermon Archives, and go back to April or May of this year, and I did a series called Fishing 101. And, and I did one of the sermons was about what is the gospel. And you can sort of learn the basic gospel presentation. So maybe that's the first step. It's, it's just, I, I, need to, I can know what to say. And not, not that we'll always have all the answers, but to just have a basic level of confidence in what the gospel is. Uh, one of the things we did in our staff meeting uh, this last week, it was fun, we went around the staff, and we, we, each one of us had to take one minute and, say, and share the gospel with everybody. We said, all right, you're on the plane, the plane is going down, happy situation here, and, and you're, you're going down in flames, in one minute, the plane will make impact with planet Earth, and everybody will then be going into eternity, either up or down. You know, like the elevator. That's what happens when you die. You go up or down. That's it. And, and, and I said, you have one minute. Share the gospel with us. Go. And, and we timed us, and we each saw if we, could, if we understood the basic gospel. And if you don't feel like you could do that, you know, maybe that's something you need to look up on. Is how, how would I share the gospel in a minute? Do I know how to say it? So that's question number one. Question number two. Where has Jesus called you to fish? You have been stationed at certain strategic fishing holes. It's like Peter you know, and Jesus. Let's go over here. Why don't you drop your nets here? Where are your fishing holes? Jesus has placed you specifically in certain places to fish that he hasn't placed me. My fishing holes are probably my gym, my neighborhood where I live. And then you know, I have a unique one here in church is a you know, fishing hole I come to every week and, and fish. Where do you fish? Maybe you fish here at church. Maybe you have a Sunday school class, little kids, a Bible study. That's a fishing hole. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's your 8th grade science class. So I want you to write it down. Force yourself to think about these places where you live, not just as a place you have to work or a place you have to go, but as a fishing hole. Um, right? Who are you sharing the gospel with? It is just a different way of thinking about God using you that way. Maybe you even want to write down the name of a couple of lunkers you're trying to catch. Maybe it's like, I'm not in the place, I know who. It's so, okay, fine. Who are you praying for would, would come to know Jesus? Because ultimately Christ has to do the work. We can't save anybody. This isn't about coercion. It's about God's spirit changing hearts and changing lives and us just being faithful with the message. So, um, so where's your fishing holes? Where's God called you to be? So uh, how equipped are you? Where's your fishing holes? Then here's the third one. You have to allow me a little poetic license here, but uh, is there any thing you have to leave on the beach in order to go follow Jesus. You know, it says in verse 11, <clears throat> so they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. They left their boats, they left their nets, they left the catch of a lifetime on the shore. <laughs> they left it. Is there something that we need to leave in our lives in order, something we need to drop in order to follow Christ and be more effective for him? In that book I told you about, Speaking of Jesus by J. Max Stiles, his first chapter is about the first step in evangelism, which is making sure that I am living a consistent Christian life. He said, I don't care what you have to say to people. If your life is betraying what you're sharing with other people, he says, you're, you're sunk already. And so his first chapter is just about personal holiness, about proclaiming the lordship of Jesus in my life. And so I have to make sure that there is nothing in my life that is not surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That may mean leaving some things behind. Maybe leaving some things behind that have cost you a lot of time and money. 
stuff you've spent money on and spent time on, and now you've got to leave it because it's not surrendered to Christ's Lordship. Is there anything you need to leave? So write that down. Just jot it down. Think about it. There's a guy in our church who um, actually was a professional fisherman. He grew up on the water. He, uh, some of you know him. He, he's, uh, he, he was a fisherman in New Bedford. I mean, this guy's like the real deal. You're not just like out in a little boat fishing. I mean, he's like out in the deep water, the big seas, fishing for the big fish. And then eventually he left prof- uh, professional fisher life and he actually went into a seafood business where he distributes seafood. And So, you know, the guy's just about fishing. And, and even now he still does sports fishing for fun. He, he takes boats out and goes to the big, you know, blue marlin tournaments and sailfish and bluefin tuna. You know, just after all these big trophy kind of fish. And, um, and about uh, a year and a half ago he got fished. Jesus caught him and reeled him in. And I'll tell you, this guy is just like crazy for sharing the gospel. He is is Peter, okay? He's the person in personality, too, that I've ever met who's like Peter. And and he's he's crazy to share his faith, even though he's this young Christian. And and so he shares his faith with all his golf buddies and all of his old former drinking party buddies he doesn't drink with anymore. And, you know, he shares his faith with all these people. And some of them are like, wow, that's cool. Some of them are like, get away from me, Jesus freak. But whatever. He just, he doesn't care. Very Peter-esque. I don't care. There it is. That's what I'm saying. And he's sharing his faith with different people. And, uh, and then he, he said, you know, one of the fishing holes I have is this community of people who do big trophy sports fishing. I mean, that's a circle that he is connected to. The many people are, it's kind of a small circle. A lot of them know each other. And so he goes, I've got to reach them. And so what he decided to do is he... He decided to start a ministry. You know, he's been a Christian a year. He's like, I'm going to start a ministry to sports fishermen. You go, what? And so he's like, oh, I don't know how to start a ministry, so I'll just start one. And, and, and he comes up with a name, and he comes up with a concept. It's called Blue Water Brotherhood. That's the shirt I'm wearing. Blue Water Brotherhood. He has a flag. He has a shirt. He has a logo. He has a website, bluewaterbrotherhood.net. And, um, <laughs> yeah. Of course. And, uh, you can go check it out. And, and, you know, and this is his passion. So all these sports fishermen come in from the big day. And what do, sports fish, what do sailors do when they come in from a big day at sea? They drink. They do drugs. They look for women. They party. And he's like, well, what am I going to do if I'm a Christian? And so he has a little flag he raises on his boat, puts on the bulletin board, Bible study at my place after the tournament, and barbecue, and guys come over and study the Bible. He just has a heart. He's like, and he doesn't know what's going to happen. Maybe it's going to sink. Maybe it's going to float. I mean, who knows? But he, he's just, he has a heart for these people. And, and I want to tell you something. Each of us need to be wearing a T-shirt with our particular fishing hole on it. And I don't know what it is. Maybe for you it's, it's the name of your office and it's a, you know, whatever. But we all need a T-shirt that says, this is where I'm fishing. Because God has called us all to fish. What would you have there? And this is exciting. Evangelism is not dry, stuffy, boring, scary stuff. It's just fishing. So, you know, let's go fishing, right? Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we pray for the boldness of the Holy Spirit to make us fishermen and fisherwomen for Christ. Lord, I do pray for anyone here who has never known you, Jesus, but have sensed in their life that you are fishing for them. I pray, Jesus, that you would bring them into the boat. We know, Lord Jesus, that 
that when you bring us out of the waters of sin, unlike a fish, we come into our natural environment, which is a relationship with you. And so I pray, Lord, for anyone here who doesn't know you, that you would just do in their hearts what you did in my heart, Lord. You caught me. I pray that you catch them too, that they might know the freedom of being caught by the master angler. Lord, I pray for those of us who are Christians, that you would give us a zeal for fishing. Help us to love sharing our faith with others. Lord, help it to be natural, to be personal. Help it not to be some some guilt-driven script, but let evangelism just flow from who we are, that we're excited to talk about everything you're doing in our lives. Lord, help us to pray more faithfully for the fish in the fishing holes that you put before us. And Lord, help us to do it with humility because we're not holier than thou or something like that. We're just fish who are fishing. And so, Lord, I pray that, that we might be used by you this week to share the gospel with others. Lord, we pray for a great miraculous haul on the South Shore of Boston. We ask this song, your name, Jesus, the great fisherman. Amen. We're going to sing a final song here. Uh, the praise team is going to come and lead it. I think we have it on the slides. And If you'd like to sing it from the hymnal, if you want to, it's number 602. Would you stand and uh, let's sing this great old hymn together. Let's sing together. We uh, follow the Lord together. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning Same thing, I've decided. Come on down here, bro.